Hello and welcome to Dissecting a Frog, a podcast about writing, performing and producing comedy. It's hosted by me, Luke Morris. And this week we talked to Anna Barris. Anna, Anna is great. Um, she's based in Berlin, born in New Zealand, currently in Melbourne, uh, doing her show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And I'll be seeing that show tomorrow because uh, for... Not just because Anna's a good comedian, I'm quite interested. She mentions how there's some material in there that is perfectly fine and she does regularly in Germany and Europe, but Australian audiences find a little bit um, a, a little bit prickly, I guess. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure what the material is because I haven't seen the show yet. But I think it would be really interesting to see what is it that she can say clearly over in Europe, but in Australia, doesn't always fly. So, that's exciting. Um, but yeah, she's a great interview. This is a great interview. We recorded this live at the Adelaide Fringe. We did a show there. Anna talked about touring Europe, uh, jo- translating jokes for German and Italian audiences, um, why women <laughs> are allowed to talk about their vaginas, and Hitler. Not in the same sentence. Those things are separated, but we cover all of that stuff. Um, it's a really good chat. There's a little bit of audio distortion from the live recording from time to time, and it's fine. It's fine. It's I just like letting people know that so that they know I know. It's fine. You can listen. It's fine. Uh if you do listen and you enjoy this podcast, it's great for education and it really helps me if you'd like to become a member of Comedy Victoria. At the moment, it doesn't cost you anything uh, and you get this and updates on gigs coming around Victoria and show your support for education and comedy stuff. So go visit Comedy Victoria, the website comedyvictoria.com.au or just follow online at Comedy Vic. Um, we're going to jump into the interview. Uh, I do say, yes, that Anna produces and tours comedy around Germany, the Netherlands, Switzerland, and the Czech Republic. That's sort of where we kick off in dissecting the frog of European comedy with Anna Beros. <laughs> Thank you so much, Luke. I'm very happy to be here. How much of that is accurate? Um, it's 100% accurate. There are like I've produced in a few more countries than that. Not, oh, to, yeah. not to brag. <laughs> yeah, no, I um, I haven't produced in all those countries, but um, I have taken my solo and self-produced in um, in most of them. Yeah, yeah, but but not in the UK. Um, yes, and then this is my first run in Australia, actually, uh, self-producing, and my it's my first festival run as well. How, how, well, I want to go back a step to how did you find gigs all around Europe to produce? Do, do you what, what's do, do you call people up? Is it a grapevine thing? Do you just call up pubs and clubs that you know might have a venue and say, "Can I come there"? Um, I think it uh, it started like that. Um, individual comedians reaching out to different venues and finding places they can run their own shows at. But there's, um, I think, Europe sits a lot uh, in, in this similar kind of 
uh, it, it works all at the same as any other like country, like single country, yeah. in that we've got all these different little cities that we know people who are running comedy shows at, yeah. and so we've got um, access to venues and uh, and friends that'll that'll help us market within those um, specific markets. So um, to be fair, though, I I recently did my little um, European tour before coming here, so I could figure out how to market and. In, in areas that I hadn't um, marketed in before. So uh, in Paris, in Basel, in Zurich. And, um, and yeah, and so I just, uh, you know, contact my comedian friends there. They're like, yeah, this night's free. I go, excellent. I set up the event. I start running meta ads. I find Facebook groups and I, and I start marketing it. Is, is Facebook still a thing? People still, it is still a lot of, as, as we do here at, at festivals, that's a Facebook group that's interested in uh, podcasts, so I'll post in that thing. Mm-hmm. And it's the same sort of... Same thing. And also with advertising, um, we are very frustrated. I think everyone in the entire world is frustrated by meta, the meta business platform. Yes. But um, marketing across Facebook, I still get a lot of people coming to my shows. I ask, where did you hear about the event? And they say... I saw it on Facebook, and I'm like, "You loser!" <laughs> um, but they're also it's also you know marketing across Instagram, and then the Facebook of like um, groups that are around people do when they. It also helps, I think, with algorithms when people Google search something. If it's across a lot of Facebook yeah. groups, then it does pop up more readily, and uh, and those are also free marketing channels across Facebook groups. So it's like, why wouldn't you if you can? Do it. It shocks me because going back years, we um, spent money. You'd spend money on advertising in uh, radio or print media or mm-hmm. uh, all that kind of thing. And then recently you spoke to a marketing company and they were basically like, nah, none of that. Yeah, it's, none of that. It's all Facebook and Instagram and Google. Facebook and Google are the two. I haven't gone anywhere near Google yet because um, I think it is for much bigger um, entities. I think it's, it's, you know, price point wise, it's quite uh, prohibitive for small sole, like sole traders. But, um, but I think the, the most effective way to market is really just like persistence and building a brand, yeah. building brand awareness. And then I've got multiple shows in Berlin where I don't do any advertising really. And people know that it exists and they come. It has its ups and downs, but pretty consistent do, do you therefore do you build your own brand as in this Anabaris comedy and then this is where the night is on tonight or is everything separated? Yeah, I have an umbrella, um, an umbrella production label called Adults Only Comedy. Yep. And then under that, I run most of my shows, pretty much all of them, except for one show which I run called Derna Comedy, which I wanted to keep away from the adults only just because it's at a kebab shop, it's open air. Has a bit of a different vibe. Um, and so that way, because I didn't want to be known as the Derna comedy comedian or the, oh, she's the adults only comedian. So then I also have a page um, that I run. And so I am the host of adults only events or I can have replacement yeah. hosts or I can be the headliner. And um, So you can centralize where all of your database is kept. and that's, Pretty much. Yeah. Exactly. So when you're building your brand, you're building your database. And, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it also means that I've got flexibility. Like, I can be supporting other artists as well, and it's not always just Anna Barros is doing the thing. It's like adults-only comedy, and there's variety within that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That 
going back a step, it made me think about when you were talking about going to different cities, the different countries and doing things all over the place. Mm. It just reminded me that Australia is, when you said it, Australia is so big, driving from Melbourne to Bendigo to Ballarat is still all in Victoria, but in Europe, that could be three different cities. Or countries. Or four, four com- <laughs> countries. Exactly. So you could... That's the the mindset of saying, oh, it's amazing you're doing gigs all over Europe, but literally you're, you're driving from Melbourne to Bendigo to Ballarat, which sounds like a rude way of saying it, but no, it's perspective-wise exactly right. to put it into, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like doing a tour from Berlin to Amsterdam to Brussels to a few cities in Switzerland and, and Paris, it's like that could just be eight days. <laughs> it's not that hard. No. that's why. So why... Berlin then. So let's let's go back the step to, did you start doing comedy in Melbourne before you went to Berlin? Or no, I started you in Berlin. Up? You started in Berlin. And, yeah. And how, how, if you don't mind me asking the age question, how old were you when you were there doing gigs? How dare you? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> no I, um, I started comedy when I was, I started in 2018 at the start of the year. Uh, so I'm just getting my bearings. I think I was 31 or 32. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm 36 now. Uh, I started two years after so arriving. By in age, Berlin. I guess I just wanted to know how long ago it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, no, I was 2018. Jo- yeah, yeah, yeah. I was joking. It's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I, uh, I'm very happy. Uh, 36 is a great age. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I started very late, very late, and I'd never. I don't think I would have ever started comedy, or it would have been a lot later um, in Melbourne. I, I, I don't know. I just it never... I saw some comedy. I always liked comedy, but it wasn't something that I... Stand-up comedy wasn't something I connected with in Melbourne. It was yep. really when I got to Berlin, and I think it was because um, I ended up hanging out with comedians as opposed to musicians. In Melbourne, I was always hanging out with musos, and okay. then in Berlin, it's like musos, there aren't as many... Like, there's DJs, but, but all of a sudden, I was hanging out with comics, and, uh, and the demographic of comedians in, in Berlin, it's... it's no, everyone, pretty much every, like, ah, let's say 80% are expats. And so you've got all these different nationalities, all these people that have come to Berlin kind of lost. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then they're making jokes about it, and it's super relatable. And, uh, and it's this scene where, you know, it was, it's been growing for a long time, but it's really quite developed now. We've got more than four shows on, across the city every night in English on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, five, ten shows. Like, there's so much comedy to be done. And so there's this, um, there was a real, there's still a very experimental energy there, but also a lot of, like, people coming from cultures where stand-up is really developed. And so it's a, it's a really fun, uh, supportive, uh, experimental and professional scene. Was it? Was it like that in 2018 when you no, started? No, no. And also professional, I said that, and that's a bit of a stretch too. But there are... <laughs> <laughs> it's comedy, Anne. Exactly. We know it's not professional. Exactly. But there, there is, a, there is um, it, like a true, a true scene there. And, uh, and it was a lot less developed um, five years ago. Uh, the pandemic really halted things um, and, and, and sort of changed the, the dynamic, but it also made the people... That um, that wanted to do it, way more determined to do it. So, yeah. uh, out of the pandemic came oh, yeah. a whole new generation that were determined to be full time comedians in Europe. Uh, the people who had been struggling, 
trying to create the scene, maybe like retired or decided, oh, you know what, I need a real job and like gave up on the dream. Some of them still do it. And then a whole lot of new comedians have come in with this idea of like, this, this can happen. This can happen watching the people that are now full-time comedians. So um, the, the scene has really grown. <laughs> so I'm just, it's, it's so fun to hear the, uh, there's those who stopped thinking it can't never be done and I'm just, I'm tired of trying and everyone mm. else has come in now going, no, I have youthful passion and it can happen. Yeah, well, like, the people that like some sort of pioneers or what, what would you call them like um trailblazers it. yeah trailblazers came in um i include myself Aha! in 2018 well uh, because i came into comedy so late once i realized i wanted to do it it was like no i can i can make this a thing like yeah. i can and so within a year i was producing by myself and then within sort of two years i was running like quite a few weekly shows and monthly shows and um and I could see that in a few years this could be something that was sustainable that would be sustainable and so yeah and then there's a few other comedians um in Europe there's quite like a community growing across Europe of these venue 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 runners slash um local gatekeepers call them the comedy nomads because they drop into cities and they produce their own shows and are doing a great job but they're not using the local scene oh, okay yeah to promote them so um but yes there's like quite a few of us that are full-time comics traveling around europe and uh and really making it an industry in English, so it, it does. There's so many parallels to what happens around. Well, I from what I experienced in Victoria, with yeah, that, the the the, the c- traveling comedian show that comes in puts on a big show, floods a whole lot of money because they've got a some sort of budget behind them, mm-hmm. but don't interact with anybody who's local. And it's like, ah, ah, okay, no, I the miss com- that. The comedy, the comedy nomads I'm talking about. Um, there's some. Great comics. I'll name them. There's a great comedian called uh, Victor Petrashkan, Luana Matei, um, Michael Rice, Tama Katan is also doing a bit. Uh, these guys are from like Ireland and Romania and the US, and um, and they do interact with the local market. But the the thing is that they come in and because they are just like wanting to run shows and they're not they're not scared about. Um, going in and, and being like, oh, can I run a show on this night? You know, like in smaller scenes, people get a little bit concerned yeah. about their audience getting taken away. So they do interact with the locals, but it's more that they, they're, not, they don't, they're not worried and they're not operating under this um, scarcity mentality. Yeah. They're, they've got enough going. One, yeah. Something you mentioned about doing with uh, English. I did a gig once in uh, Iceland. Mm. Um, and... It was promoted as an English comedy night. But went there. There was there was a whole there was uh, English people on stage. I was on stage, um, mostly American comedians, mm-hmm. um, and then the audience was very mixed touristy vibes. Yeah, is that the sort of scene, or is that what you? Ha- is, is it a lot of tourists in the audience? Is it a lot of expats from English? speaking countries on stage yeah i think in um in cities where tourism uh happens yeah. you do get lots of tourists in uh so like audiences in paris there's often tourists because it's such a you know huge attraction um for everyone around but it's also a lot of locals that have, that speak english well and then a lot of expats yep. so a lot of people that live there and it's they can't really connect with the local language comedy and oh, it's an english comedy night and so they come out so um it's in in berlin 
it's a real mix. You get a lot of local. Like I'll have audiences sometimes that are ninety percent German. Oh wow! Yeah, and um, and, and they understand it. Like they speak great English, of course. And then you know, and then you do get um, other nights where it's a. In summer, you get more tourists for sure. Um, and then there's always a, a, a couple, if not majority, expats as well. So. Well, I had a question from. Dane, let's go with Dane's question because that's about the translation of jokes. Mm-hmm. And uh, specifically, he, he asked, "Is anything? Uh, is anything that is? Is there anything that is universally funny?" But he was also asking about translating and using language in different areas and so telling jokes. I suppose in well, Czech, Czech, uh, in Czech che- or Netherlands or mm-hmm. Berlin or yeah. Um, so I think the coolest thing about doing English comedy in Europe is that you can't rely too much on local references in your writing because you have to move around. Yep. And you also have people from everywhere in your audience that might not know what that reference is. You don't know where they've come from. You don't know what they're going to relate to in terms of popular culture. So um, a lot of the writing that happens, and most of my writing, is sitting more on a, I guess, a universal topic um, yeah. position as well as... It, you, can, you can write jokes that use wordplay, but you end up, for, for ease of understanding and making sure that your, your humor can translate, you, you do end up writing more where it's a funny, funny situation as opposed to clever wordplay or things like that. So um, absolutely universal topics, like any human interaction um, is, is a universal topic. Um, and then, but then moving from city to city or, or country to country, you do, you know, you'll you'll have your um, your references that you can tweak, you know, when you're comparing like, you know, the neighboring country or like the poor area or the, you know, what what demographic you can relate to. You just have to tweak it a little bit once you get there and, and speak to some people. But um, there's so much universality and. But, yeah. but, but like. Like what? I know some of your gigs are... Well, I wrote them down for reference. It was Adults Only Comedy, uh, was it Glory Hole Comedy, War Dog Stand-Up. All sounds very dirty kind yeah. of comedy. Yeah, those are some of my show names for sure. Glory, <laughs> yeah, Glory Hole Comedy, Raw Dog. Uh, did I have enough? Uh, yeah, yeah, those are the, probably the, the loosest <laughs> ones, yes. But is, is it the universality of uh, sex and that kind of... Uh, I want to say it's not really rude or risque, but there's, there feels like it is. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I I call my shows these kinds of names because I do um, naturally lean towards sexual topics. Um, I, you know, I. Uh, a, a funny thing, though, is that a lot of people do come to my show called Raw Dog in Germany, and I've started asking at the start of the show, make some noise if you don't know what Raw Dog means, and. It's insane. 75% of the audience usually doesn't know. <laughs> and I'm like, then why did you come? Like, why are you here? Did you think there was going to be, like, some Frankfurts at the, at the door? Like, did you think we were going to be feeding you um, some bad meat? But, uh, but the, I, I named my shows this because as much as I would love to write, you know, really dry uh, kind of family-friendly material about food, or, um, you know... But you don't think that's universal or is it just not No, 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 no. That, that, is, that stuff is absolutely universal. I don't, I don't, um, I don't use those uh, topics because they're universal. I use those topics because you can't really choose what your 
what comedy you write. Like you naturally, like you find oh, your okay. voice and I have found that, okay, what I find funny and what I am able to make super funny are um, topics that relate to what it's like being a woman and uh, there's, there's, there's a political message in it but I'm usually looking at, you know, sexual kind of contradictions or um, situations and trying to normalize uh, promiscuity as, as a female or as, as a human, right? And just being able to talk about sex because it's extremely funny. And, um, and that's what I just naturally tend to write. Dark stuff and sexual stuff. So I name my shows this so that people know, because I'm usually the host, that that's what they're going to get. Oh. I was thinking that it was you... You'd lent into that kind of topic because in that universality thing, it's, it's easier to do that sort of material across different communities because sex is something that's very common in different it's so communities. So universal, yeah. But um, well, it is a natural common. voice to you. Well, you'd hope it's common. <laughs> but it is a natural voice to you. It isn't, it isn't yeah. so much a, um, a contrived, I better write about this because that material will go into every town. Oh, certainly it's, not. No, no, there's no... I, I really wanted to not be a comedian, a female. Like, I happen to be female. I really didn't want to be talking about sex. And I, and I tried very hard. I wanted, like, I started, you know, doing political stuff. And ah, and then it was, like, trying to do more, like, observational Seinfeld-y stuff. Now, like, even today, I can't make an observational sort of premise work. It's just, like, I can't... It's not in my natural, like, uh, comedian style to make that shit funny. And it uh, drives me a little bit crazy, but I've, accept, I've, I've accepted it. It's like How long did it take you to find that out? Uh, let's say it takes you, like, 18 months to find your voice. And within a year, I had started adults-only comedy. I realized, okay, that's what I do. Yeah. I, had, like, I had an ex-boyfriend just be like, Anna, you don't need to talk about sex all the time. You're, you know, you're, you're, your presence is sexual enough. And, um, <laughs> and I was like, shut the fuck. I was like, okay, okay. But then all of a sudden I've been given a show by another producer called Sexy Voice Comedy. Just happened to be given to me. I'd started a show called Glory Hole Comedy. And it was like, okay, I get, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is my realm. And, um, and I enjoy it and it works. And uh, yeah, that, that, and I also like, and sort of darker material as well. But on the topic of like creating shows based on marketability, I think I, I do know some comedians that do that and... Um, that's fine, uh, but if it, is, if it isn't their natural voice, then they do struggle to, you know, make that work for them, I think, but, um, and they have to rely on other comics who have that as a natural voice, but, like, um, one, of the, one of my greatest friends um, and uh, most successful comedians, really, in Europe, uh, his name is Dragos, uh, he got TikTok famous in the pandemic, and um, he, his, his shtick is really, like, looking at different nationalities, yep. and so it's all, and, and that's extremely universal, and so he goes around, you know, touring Europe, and he's able to talk about, basically, nationalistic stereotypes, and... Um, it's great, and uh, and he does it super well, and that's uh, that's also so universal. Yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm interested in that that you started out or you wanted to do comedy about um, uh, politics and oh. and other topics, mm. and it just and, and observational things, but it just didn't it just didn't work. Was it? Do you think there was just not the passion? You didn't have enough to convey personally, or definitely was it, it was that? Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I think, I think so, the trick... So did mm-hmm. you watch other people and say, I want to do that and then try to do it? Or 
It was more, I had these ideas. So my, my comedy is still political, but the thing, like, but it's on this very, in this very hidden way. Okay. Because I, I realized if anyone's going to listen to me uh, and find something funny, the message needs to be quite wrapped up and, uh, and not so yeah. obvious. Like, like, as a female comedian, like, I will never say the word patriarchy on stage. Oh, my God. I, like, that, that immediately destroys any potential <laughs> for a laugh. So, like, that, it's gone. It's gone. There's going to be a lot of people crossing their arms. <laughs> exactly. uh, uh, here we go. I didn't it, sign up for this. Exactly. So, to, to, to trick men and women, because uh, the patriarchy is still deep inside lots of women as well, not just... Yeah, anyway, on that level. But, um, but the, the, to tr- like the thing is to trick people into laughing at, at, these, I, at these, these contradictions or the inequality. And so um, I, I still consider my, my comedy political, but it's uh, definitely from a sexual angle. And it's like laughing about sex, but at the same time gently uncovering the inequality that still exists. And, yeah. Uh, and the... Yeah, boom. That's it, really. That's good, because I... I have a routine that's about um, uh, an email I got, which is a uh, uh, someone trying to hack me, extort me for money about uh-huh. uh, uh, da- uh, filming me masturbating. Didn't happen. It's just one of those fake emails. I, I'm telling you, it didn't happen. So, <laughs> um, but the piece is really about cybersecurity and being aware of how to spot these sorts of scams. Yeah. And I sort of felt sort of guilty because it's like, uh, it's, I feel like I'm getting cheap laughs making fun of the whole scenario. Mm. But really what I'm trying to get across is the, you've got to be aware of what people are trying to do and the, and the tricks they're trying to play. And this mm-hmm. is how you can reverse the tables on them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, wish I, had a, I wish there was a smarter way of doing it, but I, I feel, sometimes I feel guilty that it's, I'm using this sex well, and thing. I, but, and, the, and when people say that like sex... Sex jokes are cheap laughs. Yes. It's like not everyone can do sex jokes. <laughs> Thank <And> you. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like if people when and oh, it drives me a little bit crazy. Well, it doesn't. It makes me very angry actually. <laughs> um, when men or sorry, when people come up to me after a show and they're like, "Why do female comedians always talk about sex?" And it's like, mate, female comedians don't always talk about sex. Number one, but no. female comedians often talk about sex in the same way that why do black comedians often talk about being black? <laughs> you know, why do, why do these people talk about... Because it's their point of discrimination, right? Yep. It's, the, it's their point of inequality, and that's why they're driven to write material about it because it's still the point um, that they're discriminated against on, you know? And, um, and it's I, not... I, yeah. I, I remember very early on uh, men being annoyed. Like, oh, why are they talking about having a period all the time? It's like, well... Because nobody has for a long time. And it's, it, they're finally saying stuff. Exactly, because it's not taboo and it's not all that they're talking about. And men have had, you know, have had the, uh, have dominated the stage and stand up, obviously, for the majority of stand-up's existence. And so now women have the space. And of course, they, like, men talked about their penises forever. Women can now talk about their vaginas, of course. Is that an interesting thing then? Because, um, Somebody told me that the only reason men get away with talking about their penises as a joke on stage is because, and, and have women and men laugh about it, and men don't laugh about vaginas, because it's been such a trope going on for so long. Everyone understands the 
tropes of the jokes and uh, small dick, penis, dick ha, jokes, ha, yeah, dick yeah. jokes are funny because, uh-huh. uh, but men haven't had vagina jokes explained to them well enough to also be in on those jokes. And then they're like, oh, those aren't funny. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about penises, everyone gets the joke. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. got to be, that is true, isn't it? That's the reason why it's just a history of learning. Is that a frustration? Do you notice that? Is that? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Oh, yeah, cool. Oh, yeah, sure. I, it's just something that I've just been anyway. Yeah, well, the thing, like, I'll, um, I've, I've, like, pr- like, sort of barked to audience, like, people on the street, and and they're like, oh, are you the, are you the comedian? I'll be like, yeah. They're like, are you anything like Amy Schumer? And I'm like, fucking yes, I am. And like, <laughs> oh, but she's gross. Like, she talks about her vagina. It's like, mate, like, what? Like, she's funny, and uh, and it's like as soon as it's. Yeah, it's just it, it's very it's very sad that there's this knee jerk reaction to women talking about their bodies. And it's like, come on, we're still we wouldn't be talking about it if it would be if it was if it was a saturated topic. But we're still balancing the scales, yeah. and there's still a lot of comedy in there. So, ah, oh, there's still a lot of comedy in there. <laughs> um, a slight change of topic. Mm. Favorite countries to gig in? Let's go with that as a question. Mm. You've you've done a lot of countries. Is there, is there any favourites? Is there anywhere you like going to for, for gigs? The audience is really... I, I'm imagining something like, from my one experience of gigging in Europe, gigging to tourists is very different to gigging to the town. So I did a gig in Nottingham. Everybody was English and all that stuff, but they all sort of... You could read the room quite easily, whereas reading the room where it's all tourists... Those people laughed at some stuff. Those people laughed at other things, and it gets a bit harder. Did do you have any? Okay, that's an interesting. Yeah, because I feel like those audiences are pretty much like all you get in in Europe. It's like a mixed bag of of yeah, yeah like people from all over the place. Um, I have to like I I had some really good gigs in in Paris recently, and um, and just audiences that were so up for it and filthy and open and. Uh, uh, and big laughers, which is always amazing, because Germans, um, the stereotype for German audiences is that they're a bit quieter. So, yep. um, but you know, you can you can you can pull it out of them. But um, well, the but, stereotype is that Germans aren't funny, and which is just like I do comedy in German as well, and German, like I think Germans are hilarious, and it's just a, it's a different type of humor, it's a different culture. But um, I do like to say that my favorite favorite audiences to perform to. I have been Italian, oh. um, but they they don't have uh, much of an English comedy scene in Italy, and so I have only performed in Italian in Italy, and um, and the audiences are just like like Italians are happy people, to, like happy jovial, like it's a stereotype, but let's roll with it. Happy jovial people to begin with, and then when they're at a comedy show, they're just all for it. Like <laughs> I've, I've never had so many applause breaks, so many like huge laughs, and uh, and I'm very inexperienced at doing comedy in Italian, so. It was like my third third gig ever and they were giving me like 15 minute spots and like <laughs> and one one show even made, got me headlining and they were just like just oh and also i do oh yeah and they're also the biggest audiences i've performed to um so in in berlin i have opened for some big comics in italian um because there aren't any italian local comedians somehow and um and like so i biggest show i've ever performed to was 500 people um at babylon cinema in berlin and uh, and i got on stage and 
there were people in the audience that knew me that were calling my name out, which was crazy. And then I just did the seven minutes to open for this comedian, Luca Ravenna. And um, it was just the, like, the, oh, just the, jo- the love, the love that I felt. So I, as much as, like, it, English stand-up is my... Mm, performing in Italian to Italians is just insanely validating. <laughs> All right. Well, that, there's a question in that with translating material. Mm. I, I spoke to Ivan just um, recently last week and he was talking about how um, when you're translating a joke, because he did, does uh, comedy in Spanish and English, mm-hmm. translating the joke between there, you've still got the same end point, but how you get there is different because the language use is different. Yeah. And so Spanish is a lot more flowing and he says it's more fun because of that. Mm. And English is really like the language is quite short and you want to get to the punchline quicker. Yeah. How do you find, is, is that your same experience? How, how did you, do you do the same material and therefore how do you find translating that material? Yeah, I pretty much do the same material across all, like all three languages. Um, when you, when you trans, like, and again, because of uh, the need for kind of universality and ease of understanding across Europe, the, the way I write isn't, a lot based on wordplay. Like I might have a few taglines that okay. might be wordplay related, and so they change um, across languages. But it's pretty much, pretty much straight. Like trend, like like sentence for sentence translated. Um, sometimes across languages, you do get new new little jokes. It's like, oh, I can make that joke because of the of the link with these words or um, well, or the, the change, associations. I mean, it changes the. I was going to say the meter of, of how you're explaining. You're delivering the joke, mm-hmm. but it's also the words themselves. Yeah, also the words themselves. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, they'll have different associations, so you can make um, like go on other little little sort of uh, tangents. And uh, but like they say that German's a lot harder to tra- translate into because um, Latin languages have the same sentence structure, so the punch can easily always be at the end. But in German, uh, the language structure is such that um, yeah, it's it's. It, it, it changes, so um, you don't have the like. I don't know how linguistic we want to get, but like, it, it, oh, go for it. So you have to, you have to, you have to change around a little bit, or you have to kind of break the uh, like correct language use to make like. I sometimes have to cr- do incorrect German to make it like more like conversational German to make it. Be- but but Germans would be like, that's not grammatically correct, but the joke works. Because so. the way you want to deliver the joke is you want well, what they refer to as the funny word to be the last word you exactly. say. Exactly, exactly. And in German, the sentence structure, that word might actually be the third or fourth exact, last word. Exactly. So you have to incorrectly say it in order to get the surprise word at the end in order to get the laugh. Exactly. Which exactly. twists their brain because that is not correct German, but I get the joke. Exactly. Right. But also as an act, like they can tell immediately that I'm not a native German. So they, <laughs> they know, they know. They're expecting like just to be, you know, to be brutalized with my incorrect grammar. <laughs> they accept it. Yes. This is a question that I got asked from Jim and he, he ended, he asked the question and then he said, maybe don't ask this. Oh, excellent. Yeah, because this is, can we make, can we or can anyone make fun of Hitler? Is it a go-to area or is it a bit like thinking about COVID and nobody wants to talk about it anymore? 
This is a great question because I was having a conversation about this recently. And, and, and the question went on to sort of split it into Germans talking about it or people who aren't German talking about mm-hmm. it. So in my um, special that I'm, I'm, I've brought here, um, I do have some jokes that touch on uh, World War II as well as um, being Jewish. And, um, and the thing is, uh, that's been probably like the, the material that Adelaide audiences some of the material that Adelaide audiences have really withdrawn from. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so I was discussing Well, there's it. a lot of Germans in Adelaide. You do realise this. Yeah, none of them are German. Germans. Yeah. yeah, actually only one, one German. He was quite a fresh German and then one Austrian so far. Um, but they're actually quite on board. And the thing is, I do this material in Germany all the time and in Europe. Um, and the thing is, in Berlin, there is quite a community of Israeli English comics as well as, um, uh, well, yeah, and, and, and like Jewish Americans. And so in Berlin, the topic of World War II is very present in the comedy scene. Like oh, it's, it's, is it? Oh, yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. You will, like the first show you ever go to in Berlin, you will hear at least one Nazi, Hitler, Holocaust-related joke. Absolutely. And, and that's not just from new comedians trying out the... Not the easy thing to make fun of about themselves. It's no, the no. Like there's there's comedians that like there's a comedian that has like a whole solo show about full of Holocaust jokes. He's Israeli and um, yeah. and it's not just the easy thing. Like you know, it's the same thing. Like why are women talking about sex? Why are Indians talking about being it's, Indian? Why are Jews talking about the Holocaust? Yeah, okay. You know, like we're, uh, it's it, obvious. Yeah. But um, but then when you leave and you come to Australia and you're doing these jokes, people are just like. <gasps> They don't, don't know what to do with this. Can I, can I laugh? And it's like, yeah, like laugh. It's it's cool. like it's a joke. It's a joke. And what's your buy-in? You know what I mean? Like, uh, like people who are making the jokes have a buy-in. Now it's hacky when people who don't have a buy-in are making these jokes for sure. Like that, I, then I it's suppose hacky. that's why the question got asked because it's like, I suppose Jim is asking the question because he's curious, but mm. it wouldn't be something for Jim to get up on stage to talk about because what is his buy-in? Yeah, if you've got it's it's the same same with any tough topic. It's like if you want to talk about like and there, these these topics are the topics that you mention them immediately and the audience's buttholes just go deep deep inside. It's just that they're like topics like trans, black people, Jewish, these things. You need to have a buy-in yep. to talk about them. Otherwise, yep. you're just you're then then it's hack and then it's and then it's like step away and it's there's a reason why the audience is also stepping away. And that buy-in is, again, that thing about what are you passionate about? Why, what is your personal connection to this story? Exactly. I was watching Schindler's List and I thought of a joke. It's like, oh, you need something more than that. Exactly. You need to, you need to have experienced something you know, in your life that's really connected to that, that's like connected to you, you like your identity and your, and your struggle to exist. That's, that's, that's great. I, I, I never thought that it would be so prominent still in the scene. I thought it might be something like people getting up talking about COVID and having audiences going we've heard all of the stuff about that so far. Yeah, no, COVID jokes need to go, but, uh, <laughs> but like your experience during the pandemic, that's something else. But you know, like, well, not, not all COVID jokes need to go. You do them if you want, right? If they're still working for you. But um, I think most audiences, like most audiences that were going to shows 
are exhausted and don't want to hear them. And so, you know, needing to sort of re reform them or rebrand them into something that's a little bit more personal and not just like, a, oh, and then I didn't gag <laughs> when I got my, you know, COVID test or whatever. Like, like yeah. But, you know, do whatever you want. But, yeah, have a, have, have a buy-in. Be, be tolerant to the audience. I um, wanted to punch through a couple of questions before we get mm. to the audience. Uh, the festival. So this is your first festival. First, uh, yeah, proper one. So what, uh, let's ask why Adelaide. Why have you, why have you come from Berlin to come to Australia to do your first festival? All right. So uh, the plan was really originally just to do the Melbourne Comedy Festival because that's where my mom and my brother and my stepbrothers and sister live. Um, but uh, I thought, you know what, I'll come to Adelaide because my father lives here. The, the, well, we're going to, I just wanted to clarify that the question's also including why festival? Why, why, mm. why the whole thing? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the logic is um, I suffer from a lot of guilt living so far away from my family. Oh. Mm, yeah, crazy. And uh, they never believe me when I say that. But no, it's tough that I've chosen like Berlin's what feels like home and it's so far away. And uh, coming to Australia is expensive and time consuming. And when you come here, you need to spend at least three weeks to justify it. So... Three weeks is a long time. My mum always has wanted me to come out for Christmas. At Christmas time in Melbourne, a lot of the shows aren't really running that often. You get like, <laughs> you get like three mics in. It's like, oh, great. And the rest of the time, I'm just like waiting around for my friends to finish work so I can, you know, hang out or waiting for my brother to finish work, whatever. And so I was like, how can I visit my family regularly and actually do my thing? And it's like, you know what? Best time to do comedy. Come for the festivals. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I've, I've, I want to, this is my first uh, attempt at trying to figure out how to do a festival, like how to do with the festival run here, trying to, hoping to just break even, um, expecting to lose money, uh, given that I'm nobody and uh, I'm figuring You're it out. You're not nobody, Anna. Don't, don't believe oh, that. Oh, thank you, Luke. Um, but yeah, I came to I came to Adelaide uh, to be a better person because my dad had visited um, Europe and had not visited my city. So I was like, you know what? If I'm bringing myself to Australia, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna be the bigger person. I'm gonna visit him. Um, but he unfriended me on Facebook recently and isn't responding to my emails. So. Um, that's the danger of running your own podcast and talking about your childhood. <laughs> so I, didn't, I, did, I got to Adelaide and I didn't actually expect him to continue to ignore me. Uh, but I've been having a really good time figuring out. Have you sent him free tickets? No. No, good. Make him pay. No, like, <laughs> I, would, I would offer him stuff if he responded to me. <laughs> uh, how did you find the, the venue? How, how did, you, did you manage to put it all together from... Uh, Europe or yeah. Did, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I did everything from, 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 yeah, which is why, and yeah, which is why I don't have posters around as much, or I, yeah. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of flyering either, but like, um, it, it is something. So I came to, I went to Edinburgh one year, and I came to Adelaide. And when you go there, you really start learning how that city or how that festival operates. Mm, mm. Is what. what what have you learned so far that you might... Let's assume you're going to come back next year. When you come back next year, what... Or again, what do you think you might do differently? Is there anything you've... Posted, um, Adelaide posters are really in your face. 
Yeah. That's one thing that I learned. You know, I think I, like, I've done everything perfectly. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, how would I do things differently? I think I would – I really love the venue that I'm running my solo at, um, Prompt Creative Center. Yep. They're so lovely. It's a really lovely space. Um, and I'm also running an open mic at Legends Bar. Yep. And I did that because it was a free venue. And I was like, okay, do, do another show that's loose and I can do my sort of newer material and, and also give some spots to locals as well. Yep. Some reciprocity. I think um, I didn't realize that if you register a second show, you have to pay a second registration. Ah. So next time I would either go for two free, free venues or um, I wouldn't register a second show. Yep. Because um, then you're marketing two shows and you have to fill those both shows up in order to or get a percentage of tickets yeah, in I order just, to... Yeah. I just didn't realize I was going to pay fees. 400 bucks to yeah. do this open mic. That I've, and also I wouldn't... You know what? And also I, wouldn't, I ran the open mic as an experiment and I did it as free entry. Because in Europe, so many shows are free entry. It's an ob- like, and everyone knows that they donate at the end. And oh. like, people live off that money, right? People <laughs> yeah. live off those bucket splits. Here, the people that are coming to my free entry show... Actually, I had some lovely donations yesterday. I'm very grateful. <laughs> but uh, it is attracting people who are just like, free show. Yeah. And, yeah. They assume the venue pays for or that everyone's just happy doing their art. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, Edinburgh Free Fringe is something that I just don't know if it will ever work in Australia. But it's, they're great mm. concepts. Yeah. I just don't know that it's – Australia doesn't have a tipping – History to it. Yeah, so. or donation based mentality. Yeah. I don't know. I like m- most of my shows in Berlin are donation based, and I live off that. Yeah. Great. Well, that, as long as the culture yeah, yeah, works yeah. well, that's great. Yeah. Um, audience questions. Now, Rachel, I have got your question written down because you asked me about it before. Do you want to announce it yourself? or? Oh, uh, yeah. The, ling- the question was about the linguistics of um, comedy. I'd one of the things within that, though, was wordplay. And how, how do you get around wordplay? Yeah, yeah I kind just, of... You just change what the words are? Yeah, yeah. well, I, like, I don't rely too heavily on wordplay. And then when it does, when the opportunity arises in whichever language, it's like, oh, cool, but it's not, um, it's not the crux of the joke. So, huh. yeah. Oh, there's yeah. another question. Say it to me. I'll read into these. They'll get recorded. Are you considering coming back? Anna, is that, is that I think if my dad unblocks me, I uh, <laughs> I will. I I have really enjoyed being here. Actually, like it was it was very dark the first few days. I really I hadn't realized that I really came here to give the relationship an opportunity, and then that was kind of this heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then realizing like I don't really have any friends here, and then um and like I don't I know anyone to fuck here, and it was just like ah oh. um. But I'm having a really good time. So, uh, so like, you know, I, I, I would consider it. Um, it's, a, it's a much quieter festival than I expected as well. Like, I did expect there to be way more mics that I could jump onto a little bit, sort uh, of Edinburgh-esque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but it's Just really, it's lovely. Not that you, you, you do have to really book ahead and, and know people yeah. Here. yeah, yeah. I got up on one like the the second night I arrived, but I hadn't realised how jet-lagged I was. But it was still great to get up on, like, quite a rowdy... Um, Mike at the, the Belgian Beer Cafe. That was fun. Um, but then, like, yeah, getting other spots. Um, also, like, I'm completely ignorant around the whole media 
thing getting people getting me I'm, I'm like I don't care like I just want <laughs> I just want people in my show like I don't I'm not here for some I don't know some like but I'm with it. Like it would be great if someone did write something. Like I'm not here for that. I'm just here to get better and to and to see if I can make this a sustainable um, uh, business uh, option for traveling to Australia. So I would I I'm not opposed to coming back, and it might happen. It would be really cool if um, I could come and actually see family. That would be really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully you get to see that in Melbourne. Oh no, uh, for sure. That's not a. There's sort of, I, I could keep delving into things, but we're sort of out of time. So I'm going to wrap up with what is my favourite question to ask, and that is, why do you do comedy? Why comedy of all the sort? You, you said earlier on that you were you, you um, hanged around lots of music, musicians when you were in Melbourne and then to Berlin and just came into the comedy scene there. Why do you tell stories or, or, or talk about things and do it through the comedy lens? What's, what's the comedy attraction? So, um, I... Um, it doesn't I think, have to be deep and meaningful. You can, you can well, be stupid about it. Well, it is deep and meaningful. Like, Good. Like, I think um, comedy, you know, sharing your story and, uh, and being able to... I do comedy because it brings people together. It makes people feel like they're not alone it's this um, community creation, vulnerability space, and, uh, and it is a potential vehicle for very padded potential political messages that are, you know, about supporting people, turning, like, changing, you know, transforming people's shame into feeling like they're a part of a community, uh, and, uh, and... Well, what you were saying before when you were saying that um, uh, you, you talk about sex, but you also try and do it through a, a, a express something else mm. in that topic. It's the way that you serve people's attention. You, you're getting them in there for a laugh, but you're telling them something else. Exactly, exactly. And um, yeah, it's 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 making people feel good, connected, and uh, and. I don't want to say, like, I don't, it, it sounds really um, uh, uh, arrogant to be, like, and opening their eyes, but m- more like just making them feel connected and, like, oh, I'm not alone in this fucked up experience. And, yeah. and like, the people who might be, like to, mm, and also then, like, the people, like, the adversary within the, within the message be like, oh, shit, I didn't realize it was like that for women, you know, or I didn't see that before, or yeah. And, uh, and all in the form of, of, of you know, Creating a good energy. Uh, the way you said that, that, you're not alone in a fucked up experience. Mm. I've had the, ex- the, the experience on stage of, of saying something um, and then thinking, I don't know if this is anybody else's ever, if this is just a wild thing. You say it aloud and then you see a few people in the crowd who are like, yeah, <laughs> that, that's happened. Yeah, that, that is real. And yeah. then suddenly there's that connection. You're like, ah, oh, Good. It's it's not just me. It's now us. Exactly. And we can we can laugh about it suddenly. Exactly. And and a lot of people like the topics that I'll talk about might be topics that are filled with shame. And it's about yeah. going no no no. And like you can talk about them and you're not alone. And and like shake you can shake that like you can transform that shame into feeling connected to people. That is a beautiful ending. Thank you very much, Anna. Thanks for thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Luke. Thank you, guys. Yeah. (laughs) 
That was another good episode. Thank you for listening to Dissecting a Frog, presented by Comedy Victoria. To support this podcast and hear about upcoming gigs and opportunities, become a member, visit the website comedyvictoria.com.au and follow on social media, at Comedy Vic. You can track down myself, Luke Morris, at Luke Morris Ha, but please don't take all this comedy talk too seriously because as E.B. and Catherine Wright wrote, humour can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process.